0: Uh, if you have your Bibles, and hope you do, I encourage you to take those, go to Proverbs chapter 2. If you don't have your Bible with you, we have a number of Bibles back by the doors that you can go ahead and, and grab one of those and use one of those this morning. Um. So um, we, we are going through Proverbs. I want to thank those of you who have engaged in the study of Proverbs on our Facebook page for the church. That has been a huge encouragement. Uh, it has also been way bigger than I expected it to be. Um, and so the fir- you can tell that I realized that as we've been going through the process, because the first day I responded to every single comment with like a comment. And now I'm at the place where I'm like, Good word. That's fantastic, because so many of you are commenting, which is fantastic. So I'd encourage you, even if you haven't started, the good thing about this read-through Proverbs with us is that just look at the day on your calendar, and you know what day we're in in Proverbs. And so open up the book of Proverbs and read that proverb. You don't have to comment, but I'd encourage you to engage with us on Facebook. It's it's fun. It's enjoyable. It's it's encouraging to our hearts, and it's kind of uh, the the, part of the point of what we're focusing on even today. Um, I want to do just a quick recap without preaching the entire message from last week. We we started talking about what wisdom is, and we defined wisdom as a skill for living. It's a skill for living. And, and, and that while we defined it like that, we also said that, you know, any people group, any religion, any philosopher could come in and use that definition and say, see, that, that's what wisdom is. It's skill for living. And, and yet I think what we landed on and is most important for us to land on and to remember is that in a biblical definition of godly wisdom, it's not just skill for wisdom. It's skill for wisdom that begins with the fear of the Lord, and so we talked about a definition of what the fear of the Lord is. And the fear of the Lord is how we react to who God is. And we, we spend some time talking about it. And it's it's, it's really important that you wrestle with this is, is who who is God. You can't define him yourself. It can't be based on your experience. It can't be based on what somebody else says. God is self defined by his word. And so what we're responsible to do is to put our noses in the book and study who it is that God claims himself that he is, instead of allowing ourselves to grab other definitions and impose them. And so when you study God's word and you evaluate who it is that he says he is, what you find is this, God is big. I mean, it's it's as simple as one of our children's uh, Sunday school songs, right? My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. You guys have to know that one. If you know, if you know that one, please raise your hand. All right, good. Uh, if we only had four, I was going to bring all four of you up here and have you do it with me, so I personally am thankful it was more than four. But, but that's, that's really the story of Scripture, and we, we tend to make it a lot more complicated than that, don't we, because we're so smart. God is big, and God created us in perfection. And God desired for us to walk in relationship with him. But man screwed it up. And we continue to do so even to this day. We have come up with more creative ways to offend a holy God. It's hard to keep track of them all. And so so that's the, the basic premise of Scripture. But if you, if you stop there, we are stuck in some pretty bad news, aren't we? God is big and we have offended him and find new ways to offend him daily. And so what does God have to do with that? He is a just God. He is a fair God. And he has said, if you sin, there is death. So what does God have to do? He's got to show his justice. And he's got to pour his wrath out on sin. And he promises he'll do that. That's, 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 that's not good news, guys. And that's the beginning of the fear of the Lord. The beginning of the fear of the Lord is understanding the terror that is that we will stand one day before a holy, righteous, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, jealous God who will pour out his wrath on sin because he can't be in the presence of sin. And I've said this a million times, but I want to make sure you understand this. It's not because he's afraid of sin. It's not because he's like Superman hiding from kryptonite. It's because as soon as sin enters into his presence, because he is just, he pours his wrath out on it and destroys it. And that's a problem, isn't it, if we're sinners? And so if that's who God is, then that should cause us to react in terror. Terror. But as you continue the story, you find the main character of Scripture is the one who comes to buy us back, the one who comes to redeem us, the one who comes to, to pave a way so that we can walk into God's presence without the fear of His wrath being dumped out on us. And that one is Jesus. There is no other main character in Scripture, and there should be no other main character in any of our lives. He's the one who came and willingly laid down his life so that you and I could have a relationship with God. Uh, Yes, going to heaven, being in eternity, wrapping ourselves in all of God's glory, being overwhelmed with who uh, who he is, that's all wonderful and spectacular. But don't forget that Jesus came to mend your relationship with the holy, righteous, just, omnipotent, omniscient God. And that you and him are at peace now because of what Christ did. And because of that, the fear of the Lord also includes not just terror, but this joyful awe where you are attracted to him, you want to be closer to him, you want to draw to him, you want to intertwine yourself into his legs and never let him go. Is that you? Is that you? Have you understood what it means to experience that joyful awe? Have you intertwined yourself into the legs of God, holding on to him with everything you have? Have you forsaken your sin and instead cried out to him to be your savior, to carry you into God's presence, to make peace with God for you? Come on, If if you're a guest with us, man, I'm so glad you're here. And if this surprises you that I'm saying this, then what did you think church was about? It's about Jesus. It's about what he did for us. And so we can sing incredible songs like we've sung this morning. We can raise our hands in worship knowing that someday our faith won't just be, okay, I've got to make it to Sunday so I can recharge the batteries. Our faith will be right before our eyes. It'll be sight. And so in joy, we fear God as we worship him, knowing that Jesus came to make peace. Have you? Have you? seems strange, Frank, that you're talking about Proverbs. I mean, I'm pretty sure that Jesus' name is not even mentioned in Proverbs, and yet here you are talking about Jesus. Um, There is no story in Scripture, there's no book in Scripture that doesn't at least cast a picture of who Jesus is. And see, I think um, there's a verse, and actually Jake kinda, Jacob kind of referenced it during his opening um, comments to lead us into worship. It's, it's Proverbs chapter 1. I know we're in Proverbs chapter 2, but just look back just a couple of verses. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 32. It puts a definition on who the fool is, and it's pretty remarkable. I think many times we think about fools, and we're like, you know, when God defines a fool, he says it's somebody who hates Jesus and denies God. But actually one of the things that defines a fool is Proverbs chapter 1 verse 32, the apostasy of the inexperienced will kill him and the complacency of fools will destroy them. So you don't have to hate Jesus and deny God. You just need to sit where you're sitting right now and think, "Hey, I'm fine. I'm okay. Everything's good." Be complacent and God says, "You're a fool." How could you possibly be complacent in a world that we live in today like like this? How could you possibly think that you can can just kind of stroll into the presence of God or you can just stroll through life and and assume that everything's just going to be okay because, you know, everything's okay, right? Um, You don't even need to watch the news to know that's not true. You just need to drive down the street in your neighborhood you just need to engage your neighbor in conversation, and you will know things are messed up. And every single one of us is living in this world that has gone crazy. So you have to wrestle with, with questions. You have to wrestle with questions in your own life, like, so what job do I take? What job do I don't take? What, 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 uh, what's the right response to what that person just said to me? As a parent, you have to make incredible decisions, difficult decisions, and it seems like every day they're getting harder. So how do I answer my teen's questions when it, when it comes to these things? <laughs> how do I overcome debt? How do I, how, how do I live peaceably with everybody in my family? How can I best serve my wife? How can I best love and respect my husband? How do I deal with the person who sinned against me? How do I, how do I? I mean, every day we've got questions like that, don't we? And what complicates it is this place has lost its mind. And so when you listen or read the self-help book, what ends up happening is they point you in a direction and it's ridiculous, It's, it's crazy, it's foolishness. How do we exist in a world that has lost its mind? We ask God for wisdom. And that's the point of the book of Proverbs is, Wisdom. So, how do we survive the insanity of today's world? We seek wisdom. Sam, if you could throw up the next slide, my, the remote crashed here. So, wisdom is going to deliver you if you seek it. So, here we go. Let's, let's read through chapter two. I'm going to read the whole chapter. I know it's an awful lot. I'll do it with some emotion and enthusiasm, so hopefully you don't fall asleep. But but Proverbs chapter 2, this will set the stage for us. So how do we live in this world that has lost its mind? We, we can live in this world. We can um, be delivered from all of the things in this world if we seek wisdom. Here we go, chapter 2, verse 1. Solomon is speaking to his boy, and he says this, My son, if you accept my words and you store up my commands within you, listening closely to wisdom and directing your heart to understanding... Furthermore, if if you call out to insight and you lift your voice to understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it like you're searching for hidden treasure, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord. You'll discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up success for the upright. He's a shield for those who live with integrity so that he may guard the paths of justice and protect the way of his faithful followers. And then you'll understand righteousness and justice and integrity. Every good path for wisdom will enter your heart. Knowledge will delight you. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding, it will guard you. It'll rescue you from the way of evil, from anyone who says perverse things, from those who abandon the right paths to walk in ways of darkness, from those who enjoy doing evil and celebrate perversion, whose paths are crooked, whose ways are devious. It'll rescue you from a forbidden woman, from a wayward woman with her flattering talk, who abandons the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. Her house sinks down to death, her ways to the land of the departed spirits. None return who go to her. None reach the paths of life. So, follow the way of the good. Keep to the paths of the righteous. The upright will inhabit the land. Those of integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous ripped out of it. So if you seek wisdom, wisdom can deliver you from the insanity of this world. So how do you seek wisdom? What does it look like? I will give you one word to tell you what seeking wisdom looks like. You ready? Work. It looks like work. I mean, you, you start in verse 1, and you can walk through, and you can, you can see it. I mean, you look at the verbs that Solomon uses, and they just keep building on top of each other. This is no small thing. This is a lot of work. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. My son, if you accept My words, that accept my words means to take every single one of them and put them in the mental bank. The picture there of accepting these words is this ongoing, repeated event. So so if you will, the crazy picture is it's like going to high school and doing all of the homework and learning all of the lessons that your teacher is teaching and, and passing all of the quizzes, acing the tests, year after year after year after year, but never graduating. It sounds like hell for many of us, I know. But in reality... That's the picture of what Solomon's telling his son to do. Accept my words. Just keep taking them in. Put them in that bank. It's constant. It's ongoing. It's repeated. Store up my commands. Hide my commands. That doesn't mean when uh, um, Solomon gives you something that you should learn, it doesn't mean you just put it in some place you can't find it. You've ever hidden something that you can't find? As a parent, I do that all the time. Christmas comes in April sometimes because you hide the gift you don't want the kid to find and then that morning you're like I thought I had another one I'm not sure where it is and then spring cleaning and hey, hey Merry Christmas um, we, we had a situation once where somebody had given us tickets to an event and I had hidden them and then when the event came I couldn't find them yeah, that was that was embarrassing so I had to make some phone calls that the idea isn't to hide it so you lose it. It's hide it so you can't lose it. Uh, I mean, I've hidden money before, which I realize now that I said it, it sounds very gangster. <laughs> I've hidden money sometimes, you know, I, I, not like that. No offshore accounts. I know. Pastors are the first people you look at for offshore accounts. Um. <laughs> I don't mean it like that, but I, but I mean, I'm mean like, all right, so you know what, we're, we're using this money for vacation, let's kind of set this aside and hide, but, but, but hiding it, I'll tell you, I can tell you exactly where the money is. Christmas gifts, eh, we'll find them eventually, but money, I know where that is. It's actually the same word that's used for Moses' mom. I don't know if you remember back in Exodus chapter It's either two or three, I can't remember off the top of my head, um, where um, it talks about how Moses' mom has a baby, and and shocker, it's Moses, and um, they're not allowed to keep the young men. Egypt had passed an edict, a law, where all the young men were to be killed, all the baby boys. Moses' mom gives birth to a little boy, it says she hides him for three months, and then she can't hide him anymore, she puts him in that that basket and and sets him in the reeds so he kind of. Doesn't float down the river, but he's in the stream. But he, she hides him in that basket. See, she hid him so that he could be found. When Solomon says, well, "What I want you to do is, I want you to take all of the commands that you're given. I want you to hide them deep inside yourself so that you cannot lose them, but that you might be found in your life." He continues um, in, in verse two. Listen closely to wisdom. The idea is make your ear attentive. How do you make your ear attentive? You know how to make your ear attentive. It's what you do when you eavesdrop on the conversation that's happening behind you. Oh, come on. I am not the only one that does that. You're all like, I never do that. I mind my own business. That's not true. You, I, I don't know if I've said this. I, so in high school, horrible, horrible, horrible illustration, but a perfect picture of what that is. Uh, I was dating a young lady um I was sitting in a place with my buddies, and all her friends were behind us. she wasn't around. I was talking to my buddies, but behind me, I heard my name. I mean when you hear your name, your ears perk up right, and so that 's making your ears attentive. And I was like, "Oh, and so I got some some pretty sizable ears here, so I can um I can fling them around pretty good and listen pretty well, but I'm like, I'm listening because I hear my name, and what I overhear is them kind of discussing how her name was Jill, how Jill was, going, was planning on breaking up with me the next day. I was like, boy, that's not cool. That's not cool. And, and I got mad and because I was so very mature. Um, I decided I would beat her to the punch, and I broke up with her that night. <laughs> And then her friends approached me the next morning saying, What are you thinking? We knew you were listening. That's why we did that. I'm like, uh, um, whoops. <laughs> but you make your ear attentive. That means you tune in with, with, with some energy and enthusiasm. Solomon says, When I speak, I want you to do that. Listen like that. He says, Direct your heart to understanding. Turn yourself. Make it obvious that this is what matters most. This is this is uh, this is another picture of it. It's not exactly what he's talking about, but but when you're having a discussion with somebody, make eye contact. Make sure they know that you don't have your phone in front of your face. You're like uh huh uh huh uh huh. Uh-huh. No, 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 no. He says, what I want you to do is direct your heart, make it very abundantly clear that nobody else matters except for the person who is talking to you. And Solomon says, when I speak, I want you to direct your heart to this understanding, be engaged, be actively listening. And then look at verse three. He says, furthermore, if you call out to insight and you lift your voice to understanding, he says, not only is this a picture of making wisdom a priority, but it's actually a picture of praying for wisdom. You call out for it. You lift your voice up for understanding. You are crying for it. This is not the picture of of somebody all dressed up. You know, you get a a dainty little lady all dressed up going out to dinner with her family and she's sitting at the restaurant and catches the waiter's attention. Excuse me, can I have a a glass of water, please? That's not this picture. This is the picture of the child who is screaming its head off because it's hungry. This is the picture of the the, the relentless pop-ups that show up on your computer over and over again, promising you this is the greatest weight loss product ever. This is the picture of you being at home and getting the, the phone call or the knock at the door or even the mailer. So, do, do you want to refinance? I think you should refinance. How about new, a new electric provider? A new electric provider. Can I interest you in a new electric provider? Have you considered lawn care and having somebody else come in and and do your lawn? Or our new one, which I am really insulted by, no offense, but all of a sudden we have gotten a ridiculous amount of mail encouraging us to sign up for AARP. (laughs) I'm getting close, but give me some time, man. Are you sure? You sure you don't want to? Are you sure? Are you sure you don't want to? Come on, that electric provider. If you make this change, this switch right now, everything's gonna be changed. It's gonna be. It's. It's. Um. It's Jesus. In, In Luke chapter 18, he uses a parable about an unjust judge, and he makes it real clear. It's interesting how Jesus. Listen, this guy did not care about justice at all, so he's a lousy judge. And yet he's holding court and this woman would come and she'd be like, I need justice. And he doesn't care about justice. He's like, just go away. But she was so persistent. She came day after day after day and finally wore him down and he was like, fine. So even an unjust judge provided justice for a persistent woman. Jesus' point in that was not to annoy God with your prayer. Jesus' point in that was, if an unjust judge is willing to answer and give justice, how much more will God answer for you, his child? So cry out for it. Pray for it. James 1 5 tells us if you lack in wisdom, ask. Ask, we'll get back to that in a second. Look at verse four, he says this, if you seek it like silver and you search for it like hidden treasure. This is a picture of of a miner seeking for silver. Silver at this time was actually more valuable than gold because it was so very rare, he says, what you need to do is be so focused on, on, on finding this silver that, that you, you are just persistent in going after it, and you're not going to stop. You're going to keep looking because you know at some moment if you get to cry out like all good miners do, Eureka, your family's life is going to change forever. So you seek it like you would seek silver. You search for it. He says, you search for it like you would for a hidden treasure. Man, we get to be Pirates. Looking for the treasure. I just read a, a really cool uh, article this week about it, looking for stories about lost treasure. And there's this guy named, his last name is Fenn, F-E-N-N. He got a diagnosis of kidney cancer. He was a art collector, had millions and millions of dollars. And he um, decided that uh, instead of just giving all his money away, he would hide it and leave clues. He wrote a book, and so there are literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who have navigated through the Rocky Mountains looking for this, this treasure. And, 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 and I know I'm cynical, but part of me thinks, like, that dude didn't hide nothing. <laughs> These people are just wasting their time. But they think it's attainable, and so they're going hard after it. This is a, a focused passion, a, a single-hearted devotion. And actually, this just came to mind, so um, it's the picture uh, the rescue operators in Thailand. They know those kids are in there, and it took them it took them a full week plus to find them. But nobody went home because they were going to find them. And actually, when I well, just before I came out of my office this morning, the first three kids had been brought out. Um, they're continuing. It's it's uh, you know I'm, I'm gonna. Band, don't come up. I'm going to pray. <laughs> um, let's pray for the situation there. Lord, I, this is a little weird, but, but you're the God that hears us. And uh, these kids are precious in your sight, and, and I cannot imagine being mom and dad. God, I thank you for the fearless men and women who are um, trying to get them out. Lord, would you protect them? We, we, we want to hear the good news that all of them are out. And so, Lord, we, we ask for that. Um, give strength, give wisdom, give understanding. We love you. Thanks for letting us pray for people who are on the other side of the world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, so, but that's it. And that, that's a hard emotional picture, but that's the picture of how we're supposed to look for wisdom. You, you go after it. And, and I think, let me, let, me, let me say this. We're supposed to seek wisdom. Wisdom. You want to know what seek is? It's what we just talked about. It's making it your greatest priority. It's tuning everything into it. It's, it's focusing on it. And the problem is this. Our thinking is so messed up. I don't think there's a single person in this room who, who at one point in their life hasn't prayed for wisdom. We've all done it. And, and, and actually here, it's, it's what we're encouraged to do. He says, okay, so what I want you to do is I want you to accept my words, store up the commands, listen closely, direct your heart, and then pray, call out, lift up your voice, and then seek it for like silver and search for it like a treasure." But, but the problem is this, is that it's part of what we're told to do when we're looking for wisdom, but that's where we stop. Many of us, when we're in great desperate need for wisdom, we have no problem with like, Lord, give me wisdom, and then we just go on our merry way. Seek it. Go hard after it. Dig for it. I mean, so many of us complain when we don't get wisdom from God after we've asked for it, right? But here, Solomon says, you want wisdom? Yeah, you pray for it. And then you put some feet to your prayers. And you take out the word and you study it. I I think we were like, oh, it's so hard. No, it's not. We've made it so hard. We've overcomplicated it. Listen, I know, you don't have to read 42 chapters in a day. You don't have to read even one chapter a day. That's what we're doing through the book of Proverbs right now. You don't even have to read just one chapter a day. I mean, read a verse and then chew on it all day long. And watch how it applies to all the situations you're walking through. Just one. I mean, so, so, okay, at the risk of looking like a moron, I'm going to pick one. Here we go. This ought to be fun. So, okay, verse 11, discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Just spend today thinking about that. Understanding, oh sorry, discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. You need any discretion in any of your interactions later today? Here's the crazy part. Uh, we all do, you're just not aware of it yet. <laughs> We all need discretion in those things. Do you need any, any understanding to help watch over you and protect you? Yes, so as you're walking through the day, that's like, okay, discretion. Man, what do I need to be dis- make discretional? Discretional may not be a word, but we'll go with it. Discretional decisions about how, how do I walk along this? How do I navigate this carefully? God, I need you to help me use discretion. God, I need your understanding to watch over me because right now, what's happening is ugly and it hurts. But if I have a proper understanding of who you are, no pain is wasted. You love me. You care for me. And you're good. And right now, I'm not seeing the good. I'm seeing a lot of the hardship. So I need more understanding to see you as you are. One verse a day and chew on it and mull it over and dig. Um... I think too many of us, we pray and we think that God owes it to us to just throw wisdom in our lap. But what Solomon says is, no, you need to seek. But here's the crazy part. It, when you seek, you're not just commanded to do it. It gets so very, very good. When you seek, there's now, a great Bible uh, study method is look for the word if followed by the word Then. And I don't know if you realize it or not, but there's three ifs in chapter two, verses one through four. He says, my son, if you accept my words, do these things, verse three, if you call out, verse four, if you seek it, then there's two thens that pop up, one in verse five, then. So if you do what Solomon has commanded you to do by seeking wisdom, then first result, verse five, you'll understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. You know what you get when you seek wisdom? Wisdom. God. Why? Maybe a picture would help. Um, One of my young ladies who grew up in my home and still lives there, (laughs) how's that for not using a name, Um, had this horrible habit. When she was two or three, we, we, you know, all parents do this. When you go out, you hand them your keys, right? And they're like, and they're playing with the keys and sticking them in your mouth. So the next time you pick up your keys, you're like, oh, okay. She loved keys. And so it became this thing for her to anytime she saw a set of keys to make off with them. Which is cute and fine until you need to go somewhere. And so it was a regular habit in my home when she was two or three years old where I would be running around the house. I would no longer be looking for keys. It would be, Audrey, where are you? I know you've got them. And actually, on a good day, she had them. It was the bad days where she had had them and put them someplace else. There was no chance of finding them. But when I looked for my keys, I always ended up finding Audrey. When you look for wisdom, you will always end up finding God. Because he is the source of wisdom. And when you find God and you get God, you don't just get the privilege of attending a a church service in Union Bridge, Maryland. When you find God, you get him. Real wisdom. Intimate, personal relationship. I mean, look, look at the verse, uh, the picture here in verse six. So, so you, when when you do these things, you'll understand the fear of the Lord. You'll discover the knowledge of God. Verse six, because the Lord gives wisdom from His mouth, come knowledge and understanding. That is a picture that is mind blowing. Knowledge and understanding come out of His mouth. When you're seeking wisdom, you end up at the feet of God, hearing His word, not in a teachy and preachy way, but in a real relationship way. And then the relationship grows. He stores up success for the upright. He's a shield for those who live with integrity. He guards the paths of justice. He protects the way of his faithful followers. You get this picture that it goes from, from having to run from God in the terror fear of the Lord to getting to run to God in the joyful awe of the fear of the Lord. So when you seek wisdom, you find God. But here's the other thing. The other then pops up in verse 9. If you do these things and seek wisdom like Solomon's instructing us to, you get to verse ten, uh, verse 9, then you'll understand righteousness, justice, and integrity. Every good path. See, what you find is wisdom. There's a novel concept, right? You seek wisdom, you know what you find? <gasps> wisdom. It, 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 he gives it to you. It, it goes back to that James 1.5. You know, if, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Who gives it generously and willingly. He's not holding it back. It's the picture that Jesus uses. About what, what, what man, when his child comes up to him and says, Hey, Daddy, can I have a piece of bread? Says, Sure, son. And hands him a snake. I mean, okay. The stone part of that parable is pretty, okay, oh, hands up a stone. That's a good trick. looks like bread, son. Go ahead. Try to chew on that. Wink, wink, nod, nod. But the picture dramatically changes when Jesus says the kid comes up and is like, I'm starving. Can I have a piece of bread? Sure. Have a serpent. Like, that's a cruel parent, right? No parent would do that. Well, I know a few parents who might do that, actually. I mean, take that back. But he says, God's not going to do that for you. You're his child, He's going to give it to you. He's going to give you wisdom. He's going to give you the ability and the power to live skillfully each and every day. I love, verse 9 is this really cool uh, Hebrew saying that gets lost in all of the English translations. So it talks about understanding righteousness and justice and integrity. And, and, and he's going to show to you, the phrase ends, every good path. Now when you think of a path, you think about back, you think through your field, you think through the woods, you got, you know kind of a path that plays out the Hebrew picture of path, and if you were to translate it literally, would be rut. So, so, let me let me give this to you. So, when we lived in Wisconsin, when we were first married, this was twenty three years ago. Wisconsin's not exactly known for warm and humid weather. Um, it was during the winter. It snowed a lot, and actually, they get so much snow and so much cold that they really can't always plow the roads. So, instead, of on many of the back roads, what they would do is get it packed down and then throw sand on top of it. When the day would warm up, <laughs> the, the snow would get a little soft and squishy, and so cars would be going down, and it would create ruts in the side of the road, tire ruts. And so my wife was driving somebody else's car, which, praise God, it was somebody else's car, and uh, was zipping along, and she got her two passenger-side tires stuck in one of those ruts. And it just she couldn't steer out of it because it was so very deep. And finally, it just brought her off the road into this huge snowbank, this is a little aside, it cracks me up because we go to get her, and she's like, it's not that bad, it's just stuck in the snow a little bit. It took eight of us three hours to dig the thing out because she had buried it so far in the snow, so she, she won the prize. Um, the idea that, that, that Solomon's saying here, he's saying, listen, you got to understand, this is it. When you seek wisdom and you find God, he's going to give you the wisdom, he's going to set the rut before you so that you just need to get your tires in that rut and start going. And you know what? You can trust the rut that God lays. It ain't going to bring you off into the ditch. He's going to bring you in every good and perfect way. Reality is that if you seek God, he's going to be the one who cuts the rut for you. So if you seek wisdom, you find God and you find wisdom. Isn't that the experience Job had? And think about that for a moment. You know the experiences of Job, how how his life just went upside down and the whole time you read through the first 30-something chapters of Job and what you hear coming out of the mouth of Job is why, why, why? I'm innocent, I don't understand all of this. Why, why do you think you could do this? Why? How could you possibly do this? Why, why? I, I deserve an answer, God. I deserve you coming down, just laying it out for me and then you get to the place where God says, okay, I'll give you an answer and that never goes well. And God says, Who do you think you are? Where were you when I did all these things? And Job's response at the at the end of his interaction with God, when when God shows up and, and, and answers Job's why with a who Job's response to God is, I know you can do anything. No plan of yours can be thwarted. When you asked me these questions, I realized I have been speaking about things that I do not understand. You said, listen, and I will speak. And when I question you, you inform me, man. God, I had heard reports about you. Now my eyes see you. Therefore, I reject my words, and I'm sorry for them. I am dust and ashes. You know what happened when he kept asking the why questions? He got God... He got the fear of God, and he was given wisdom. It's a story of Habakkuk, isn't it? I know you're all of Habakkuk memorized. It's a story of Habakkuk. Habakkuk's looking around at the culture and community around him, and they are doing everything backwards. They are running from God. They're shaking their fist in God's face, and Habakkuk says, God, where are you? Why haven't you shown up to to fix this? Can't believe you. And then suddenly God answers him, well, here I am. And I'm watching, and I'm going to judge them, and I'm going to judge them harshly for their disobedience. Habakkuk has the guts to respond to that and says, I don't think you're right doing that, God. The people you're going to use to judge your, uh, our people, they're evil, they're ruthless, they're, they're cruel, they're, they have no understanding of when enough is enough, and God says, wait, 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 I'm God, you're not. You get to the end of Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 3. And Habakkuk's whole attitude has changed. Says I, I understand the fear of God like I haven't before. Here's a great promise from God: if you seek wisdom, you will find it. The difficulty is, where are you seeking wisdom? Where are you seeking wisdom? Are you seeking wisdom in God's word, in God's commands, in God's statutes, in his precepts, in his law? Are you using some of our um, 21st century man-made philosophers who've decided that they are wise enough to do all these things without God because they're wise? Romans tells us people like that in professing to be wise, have made themselves fools. So have you lost your keys? Have you lost your keys? Good news. You can find them. You can find them. You you seek for them. You look for them. you, You pray for them. You cry out for them. You listen to God's voice. And you'll find more than just your keys. You'll find the God who loves you who sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. You'll find the God who accepts you because of what Jesus did for you. You'll find the God who demonstrated a love that we can't even begin to comprehend. Seek wisdom. Let's pray with me. Father, thanks for your good word. Thank you for your love for us. God, I I ask that in our moments together as we close our service, that you would continue to work in each of our hearts and each of our lives. Father, we, um, we are guilty of running every which way trying to find wisdom, uh, and uh, Lord, I ask that you would forgive us for that. I pray for the one here who has utterly rejected the wisdom of God and the fear of God. Lord, would you mercifully call them to yourself even now? May they put their hope and trust in Jesus Christ and only in Jesus Christ. God, we, we, um, we thank you that in Christ, all of the promises that you have given to us are yes, yes. And so, Father, we we don't claim them from an artificial standing. We claim them through the blood of Christ. And, Father, we ask that as we continue to seek you, that our eyes would be open and that we would find you. Lord, we love you and we thank you for satisfying the deepest longings of our heart and providing for us the one who can make peace. For it's in his name I pray. Amen.